0: Scripture reading this morning be taken from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 1. Again, 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, will start in verse 3. That's found on page 1025 in the Pew Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as our sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ.
1: Good morning. It is good to see you. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We have had a wonderful past week. Wednesday evening, our deacons led a, a time of worship, and what a wonderful, wonderful time that was. We appreciate each of you that did that. It really helped us to focus on gratitude and thanksgiving and hopefully many of us made our list of a hundred. I know around our house that's kind of become a highlight of Thanksgiving meal is to pause and to let people read through their list and that's very uh, humbling, it's very touching and most of all let's carry out of this week this reality. God has never designed for Thanksgiving to be something that is just a moment in time. It's once a year, it is, it is simply an event. Gratitude is to be our life, it's to be our heart. We are to be people that are grateful all the time. So I want to encourage you to spend some time every day making a little list. Maybe you, you have a ritual that every morning as you're riding to work, you list ten things that you're thankful for. Uh, just even in your mind and, and say a prayer about it. Whatever we need to do individually for each of us to remain grateful people, let's do that. Uh, we owe everything that is good to our Almighty God. And let's never forget that. A little four-year-old boy went next door. His neighbor, an elderly gentleman's wife, had passed away recently. He knocked on the door and looked in through the glass and saw the elderly gentleman sitting in his living room crying. The little boy just opened the door and went right in, kind of pushed his arms aside and moved his way up into his lap. He just sat there. Later, he went home and he told his mama what he saw. And and his mama asked him, Well, what'd you do? What'd you say? And he said, Oh, mama, I didn't say anything. I just sat there and helped him cry. Today, we're going to look at what is a challenging, challenging topic in Bible class. Andrew has put together a tremendous series, and today is the end of this series of sharing the ancient words. We've been looking at various things that we need to know and we need to be aware of if we're going to be successful at sharing the ancient words with those that live around us. And today we conclude with one of the greatest problems that plagues the minds and the understanding of mankind. And it is the problem of pain and suffering. As a matter of fact, Lee Strobel's commissioned George Barna to offer a survey. And in this survey, he asked this question. If you could ask God one question and know He would give you the answer, what would you ask? The top response to this survey was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Many individuals that we would love to sit down and we would love to tell them about God, many of those individuals, they have a problem with God. You see, in their mind, as they've tried to comprehend an all-powerful, an all-good, an all-knowing God, but also within that realm of understanding, if He is so powerful, good, and knowing, why has He allowed so much pain and suffering in my life? Why has He allowed so much pain and suffering in my family's life? Why did He allow things like... The Holocaust, you know, a family tradition in in my family is on Thanksgiving to go and see a movie. And so Thursday afternoon, we went and saw The Boy in Striped Pajamas. And it's it's a movie of the Holocaust, except it's told from the standpoint of a little eight-year-old German boy who is the son of a military officer who has been placed over a concentration camp. The little boy doesn't know what's happening at the farm. And so he sneaks off and, and through the fence he makes friends with one of the Jewish boys. And, and it's in that story that we are reminded of some of the horrible, horrific times of pain and suffering in human history. When we consider the genocide, when we consider all the losses at, at the hand of nature of hurricanes and tsunamis... When we consider disease, when we consider all the cemeteries we ride by and every headstone represents a family that has had a crushed heart. When we look at the hospitals, they're full and running over. We naturally would ask the question, why? Why all of the pain and suffering? And your Bible class teacher this morning has prepared an excellent lesson and they'll answer all your questions. So stay after. Stay for the Bible class. Now, what are we going to cover in this time? In this time, I've been commissioned to address this from the aspect of the heart. How is it that this topic can come into play when we think about teaching the gospel to Jesus Christ? When we think about the ancient words, how can they be shared with someone who is suffering? How can they be shared with someone who feels like their heart has been crushed into a thousand pieces? I'd like to take your eyes back to the text again, if you will. Look back at 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 3 through 5, that's been already capably read for us. But I want you to notice. God identifies himself in verse 3 as the God of all comfort. But then notice as he begins verse 4 by saying he can comfort us in all of our tribulation. Everything we've mentioned, everything that's run through your mind that creates pain and suffering, God can comfort us in every one of those situations. But then this teaching here makes a transition. And the transition might be easy to just take on surface level, almost if to skip over. But I want you to take this to heart this morning. And if you and I will take this to heart this morning, you and I, I believe, will leave here convicted to say God has given us a huge mission. God has given us a huge responsibility. Notice this transition in the middle of verse 4. We begin reading verse 4. Who comforts us in all of our tribulation. Here it goes. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God says, I'm doing comfort in a cycle form. Whatever pain, trouble, and tribulation that you've had, I can comfort you with all of that. There's nothing I can't help you with. But He says, I always help you, expecting you to make that transition. So you say, now I know what it feels like. Now I know what it looks like. Now I know that I can take... And I can use the same comfort that God has given me to help someone else as they too are hurting. Maybe they're hurting in a very similar way in which we can understand. But whatever the pain is, God says, I expect you to become a part of the solution. In other words, when we say, God, you identified yourself as God of all comfort. How does that work? He says, I tell you, one way it works, one way it works is that I send my people to comfort those who are hurting. This morning, as I begin this lesson, I need to ask myself, am I constantly aware of the people around me that are hurting? And am I constantly doing the God-commissioned job that has been given to us? One of our elders, Brother David Burke, just a few moments ago led a prayer. He led a prayer on behalf of those who are in pain and suffering. And there were over 70 names that he mentioned among us that are on that list. So as I begin this lesson today, and I think to myself, well, if the occasion ever comes, I hope that I'll be able to step up and do this. I've already missed the boat. I need to open my eyes. The occasion is about me every day if I choose to do what God has asked me to do. Will we be a comfort to those who are weak, struggling, sick, in grief, feeling as if they are being overcome and perhaps they are being overcome by tremendous temptation? Are we going to be a part of the solution? God says, I can help. But He also says, a way I help is by sending others. The book of 2 Corinthians is one of my favorite books to study on this matter. When I was just starting out in preaching, I was asking my my father-in-law about the topic of pain and suffering. And, and he walked me through this lesson in 2 Corinthians. And today we won't be able to develop it fully because one of the things that I want to do as we go through this is I want us to, each of these points, I want us to back up and say, not only, hey, this is what God is doing, but we want to drop back and say, how does God expect me to help others in the same way God helps us? Look with me, if you will, as we read just a little deeper down. In 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, notice in verse 8, we see Paul talking about a time where he went through some deep grief and and suffering. In verse 8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, that we despaired of life. Paul, how great was it? I can't measure how great it was. Paul, how serious was it? I tell you this, there was no reason for us to live through this. We thought we were going to die. Well, how did you get out of this, Paul? Look at nine. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust. Pause there for just a moment. There are a lot of good things that come out of grief and suffering. And when we do this in a righteous way, there is a righteous and an unrighteous way to suffer. When we suffer in a righteous way, it always helps our focus so that we trust God. If I ever use my grief and suffering to begin to doubt God so that I can no longer trust God, I know then that my grief is unhealthy. Where does that come from? Oftentimes, individuals ask on their own behalf or behalf of someone else. I have a father, I have a mother, I have a sibling, uh, or either I am in deep grief, and I'm afraid that the way I'm grieving is unhealthy. I need to ask myself this. As I am grieving... Is my faith growing stronger or weaker? If my faith is beginning to be destroyed, I know that my grief is no longer healthy. If physically I'm harming myself or others, I know that my grief is no longer healthy. And so here Paul says, I tell you what I did when I felt like that there was no way to survive this, I trusted in God. And and look as we read on in in verse 9 here. He says, Yes, we had this sentence of death in ourselves that we should no longer trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Number one, this morning we learned this, that God sometimes chooses to deliver us from the pain. And that's usually what we pray, isn't it? Lord, please deliver me from this sickness. Lord, please deliver this grief that is destroying my heart. Please deliver that pain from me. That is our usual request. Now, note the fact that God is not always going to choose to deal with our grief or our pain or our suffering in the sense of delivering. But sometimes he does, and that's exactly what he did here for Paul. But notice now, you say, well, how do we come into play in this topic? Look at verse 11 and notice what Paul said. He's talking to those people of Corinth, and he says, You also, helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted us through many. Paul, aren't you thankful that God delivered you? Yes. So Paul, all of your thanksgiving goes to God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No. Not at all. Well, Paul, who else are you going to be grateful toward? He says, I'm grateful for all of those people that made a huge difference. what they do? They prayed. They prayed on my behalf. Friends, why do we begin every first day of the week. We begin every week in worship together and we begin every week in worship together praying for those of our family that are hurting. Why do we do it? Have you ever felt like it was a waste of time? Have you ever felt like that there might be a better use of time? Or do you think that the prayer that we just prayed together a few moments ago will actually make a difference in someone's condition? How often do you pray for those that are suffering? Fervently. The righteous, pray- the prayers of a righteous man avail Much. And so as we think about God saying, I can deliver you from this, and we think about Paul saying, I'm so thankful to all of those that did pray for me, we think about the fact that God is all-powerful. What do we do with that? Well, He is all-powerful. And what we do with that is, is we accept the fact that when God in His power decided to create man in a way that man would have choice, and to give man a choice to choose good that creates the opportunity for man to choose evil. To give man the choice to love creates the opportunity for man to hate. Friends, if we take this description of how God has made us out and and we say, if God is all-powerful, why didn't He just make it so that it was only good? Why didn't He just make it so that we could only love? Well, then we're saying... He should have made us not human. Because the qualities that give us the human aspect to choose a relationship with God are the very things that also give the opportunity for evil, for pain, and for suffering. And so if we believe in that kind of power, we believe that that freedom also gives you and I, now please get this, that freedom also gives you and I the choice. Do I want to do something to help someone else's pain and suffering? Instead of throwing up our our arms and, and saying, where is God in all this? How about you and I putting up our hand and saying, God, send me. I make a decision today to be part of the solution. Think about those of you that have gone down to Purlington, Mississippi. Think about that for years now, individuals have never stopped going. Why? Because they have made a decision that they will be a part of God's solution to a hurting community. And now years later, we see not only the physical good, but just Wednesday night was announced that another brother has been added to Christ in that young infant church that has had its beginnings out of the roots of Katrina brethren it's easy to grab the rock of grief and throw it through the window pane of God and set back as if we have no responsibility And God gives us some of the most comforting, challenging words in all of Scripture about this topic when He says, you better believe it. I can comfort you in all of your grief, but I expect you to turn around and help someone else. And that's our challenge. Yes, He is an all-powerful God who has enabled us to do powerful things to help others who are hurting. Look over with me, if you will, in the second chapter. Let's see another thing God did in in the topic of suffering here. In the second chapter, we read verse 4, another time of much affliction in Paul's life. 2 Corinthians 2 and 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. You see, Paul was very concerned for the spiritual condition of the Corinthians. They had allowed sin to come into their life to the point that Paul implies here that he thought that they were going to completely leave God. And so he writes a letter to them that we might say was a harsh letter. He writes a letter to them, challenging them to come back. And as he writes this letter, his heart is broken. Now think about it. Here Paul is saying, I'm a man acquainted with grief, like my Savior Jesus. Well, Paul, what makes you cry? When I see brothers and sisters in Christ, and and they're inviting sin into their life, he says, it breaks my heart. Paul was suffering grief because of other people's wickedness, because he loved them and their soul and God so much. Skip down, if you will, and and let's read verse 12 and 13 of this same passage, and notice more of what he says here. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. But notice, he's in grief. So how did he feel? Any of you that are in grief right now, you know exactly how he felt. Here goes. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Oh, the great apostle Paul, he seemed to do everything right. He seemed to be Mr. Courageous, Mr. Strong. Nothing could get Paul down. Whip him with lashes across his bare back. You can't bring Paul down. And Paul says, I've got to confess to you. God opened a door for preaching to be done in Troas and I was in such deep grief, I couldn't go through that door. No, not Paul. Paul would never pass up an opportunity to take the gospel somewhere and Paul said, I did. I passed up on an open door because my grief was so deep. I had no rest. I was weary. How is God, of all comfort, going to comfort Paul during this deep time of grief? Turn with me, if will, to the 7th chapter. We see the answer to this. We see how God's going to comfort him. Look at the 7th chapter. In the 7th chapter, verse 5, 6, and 7, For indeed, 2 Corinthians 7, 5, 6, and 7, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, Here, Here again he describes his grief. Our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Let me pause there for just a moment. And, and any of you that are in the depths of grief, I don't have to explain this to you. I want to explain this for your family, for your members of your family to understand. Individuals that are in deep grief will say, this is the hardest work I've ever done. I wake up in the morning and I feel like I've already worked all day long. I can't sleep at night. I have no energy in the daytime. I have no rest. I feel like everything in my life is in conflict. When you see someone who's grieving deeply and God is sending you to help them, keep in mind you're helping someone who's worn out. You're helping someone who is so tired that they don't feel like they can just do the daily things however you can serve them at that time to relieve some of that physical burden is almost always greatly appreciated. But notice as we continue writing how God is going to help Paul at this time. Verse 6, Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming but also by the consolation that's another word for comfort also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire your mourning you see that's when they decided to turn away from the sin they were sorry for their sin your zeal for me they weren't mad at Paul for writing that strong letter they were thankful for him so that I rejoiced even more how did God comfort Titus or comfort Paul he Comfort Paul by the sending of Titus. Oftentimes, that's the way God's going to work. I'm not saying that's the only way He's going to comfort in any given situation, but oftentimes, as God may comfort in other ways, one of the ways He's going to comfort is by sending someone to help us through that time. Most that have been through the valley of darkness, of grief. Most are able to say, if it were not for, and they fill in the blank with someone who walked with them, didn't try to take away the grief, didn't try to minimize the fact that the pain was real. It was just somebody that walked with them during that time, acknowledging the pain and asking how they could serve and having eyes open to do it. Titus came. And he brought wonderful news. As we think about this, we think about if God is all good, if He's all good, how can He coexist with evil? But friends, if there is the standard of goodness that sets in opposition to evil, there has to be one who is good, who created that standard. God did. And so it's not only the fact that God coexists with evil, but He is the answer. He is the better solution. He, He and His righteousness shine even greater as we see that that evil exists. I know that doesn't answer all of the logical arguments, but it does reveal to us how wonderful God's goodness is when we take it to those who are hurting and we think about Titus coming in at a time where Paul was hurting and he brought good news. He was willing to be a servant. And so that makes us think of the fact, does God's result, does God, uh, can good ever result from pain and suffering? Absolutely. Deeper in this same chapter, if you have your Bible open, we don't have a slide for it, but down in verse 10, it's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Anybody here that's a faithful Christian, you had to go through suffering of sorrow to become a Christian. You had to be sorry that you were a sinner. You had to be sorry that you've hurt God. You had to be sorry that you were not perfect. And that you wanted a Savior, brought that rejoicing, brought that comfort out of that time of sorrow. When we read in the first few verses of the book of James, what do we find out? We find out that we ought to give thanks in times of trial because that gives us the opportunity to prove perseverance and proving perseverance actually begins to grow us and shape our character and shaping our character gives us hope Romans the 5th chapter verse 3 and 4. Friends, we don't have time right now to talk about all of the good that can come out of suffering. I'm not saying the suffering's good. I'm saying the good that can come out of the suffering, are we willing to be the one that goes and walks beside someone so that they don't give up until they can reach the day that they can look back and say, I see the good that's come out of that. Friends, when we're so close to the event that brought the pain, We're not going to be able at that moment to see good that came out of it. But what if we have brothers and sisters that walk along with us during that time to remove us a few years from that so that we can look back and we can say, now I see God's hand and how he's worked through that. But then finally this morning, if you will, go to the 12th chapter. In the 12th chapter, we have something that unfolds over 10 or 12 verses here. And it's where Paul was allowed in verse 3. He doesn't know if he was in his body or out of the body whenever this happened. But in verse 4, he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. And in verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Now, did you get that story? It's this simple. God allowed him not to go up into the sky, not to go up into the universe, but go into the third heavens and see things that man is not allowed to come back on earth and utter. How would you feel about yourself then? Hello, I'm the Apostle Paul. I've seen things that you guys can never see. Satan, not God. Satan placed a thorn in his flesh. And God... The all-knowing God could see into the future. You remember the first thing God delivering? God could have delivered that thorn out of His flesh, but God knew if He did, the great apostle Paul would become proud and ignorant and fall away from Him. And God's knowledge, He left the thorn in the flesh so that He would remain humble. And then we read his explaining this to Paul. In verse 8, he talks about asking the Lord three times to remove it. See, I want delivered from it. God said in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, I'm not going to remove it. I'll give you the strength to serve me in spite of it. Partnership. Your weakness and my strength, we can accomplish everything we need to accomplish. But God, if you take it out, I can do more. Oh, you're not listening, Paul. My strength and your weakness, we can accomplish everything we need. But God, if if you'll just take it out, please just... Paul, you're praying three times about this. I'm going to give you the final answer. I'm not taking it out. Your weakness and my strength. It's a powerful combination. Do you believe me? And Paul believes him. And that's why Paul says, I'll glory in tribulation. He's not saying bring on the pain. He's saying, if God can use my time of weakness to do great things, God, let's be partners. As we think about the all-knowing God, a God that can know the future as well as He knows the present and the past. That's powerful. The next time we're going through something where we say, I just don't understand, or we throw up our hands and say, it's just not fair, do you realize that if we stay faithful, we may be able to step over into eternity and ask God, God, why did you allow that to happen? He will show us how that event that we thought absolutely nothing good could come out of it, He would show us how wonderful things took place because of that loss or that pain or that suffering. Who's going to be the one to take that hope to others? Friends, if you don't know God, you don't know what we've talked about today. Who's going to be the one to go to those that are such deep grief and pain and suffering and say, I can't tell you all of the answers to why we suffer and why we have pain, but I can introduce you to the one who has all the answers. Friends, even when Job was suffering, God did not end the book by saying, let me write you an article about all of the answers to the questions of pain and suffering. Instead, God said, Job, let me show you me. God said, if you can see me, you can trust. And that's all you need right now. Do you remember when you were real little? Do you remember when you were afraid? And maybe you cried out from your bedroom because of, clap of thunder and the lightning streak that glared in your window? Do you remember calling out maybe mama, daddy and what you wanted you wanted them to come and maybe you said to them, just stay here a little while what was the answer? It wasn't, explain to me a thunderstorm The answer was, I feel safe when you're here. We're going to have a lot of thunderstorms we can't explain in life. But we can pull close to a Savior. And we will always be safe in the things that matter. This morning, are you close to that Savior And are you walking about with open eyes, seeing whom you can help comfort also? If you've never been baptized into Christ, to have Christ as your brother, as your Savior, God as your Father, why not this morning? If you want to study that further, we would love to get with you and study that. Please just let us know, we want to help you move a step closer to God. Maybe you've been close to God and you've stepped away from God and you want to repent of that and confess sin and pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we stand.